Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us again in our online service here at First Methodist Church. I hope you've enjoyed worship and, and you feel prepared uh, to take this next step as we explore God's Word together. I do want to take just a moment to pray for us and just ask God to just empower us uh, to understand his word. I think sometimes we forget that God is infinite and he's eternal. And so we need God in order to understand God. So if you just bow your heads with me for a moment, I would just love to pray with us as we look into this sermon. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Father, that you are always speaking to us, always trying to guide us, always trying to perfect us as we grow and as we uh, further trust you. Let us pray right now for all those who are, who are watching online that you would empower them to look deeply into your word and to understand it. But not just to understand it in just a, a textual way, but to understand it deep within their hearts in a way that changes how they think and how they live. Help me, Father, to also be able to communicate your word in a way that is powerful and effective. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, again, welcome to week two of Pressure. Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Charlie, and I serve at the Amarillo campus at First Methodist Church, but I'm so glad to be joining you today in our online service. Let me start today by reading our scripture. Our scripture is going to be found in Mark chapter 3, verse 20. And it, this this verse comes right in the middle of some events, and so it's not going to quite make a whole lot of sense right now, but later on as we unpack this verse, it'll make a whole lot more sense. Let me read that for you. Mark 3, verse 20. And the crowd came together again, so they could not even eat. Well, like I said, today is week two of our four-week sermon series, on pressure. And I want to take just a moment to remind you what we've said about this topic of pressure so far, what we discussed last week in week one. You might remember last week during, during that sermon, we talked about that pressure in the hands of God is actually a gift. Let me remind you what, what that said in James 1, 2. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Again, that's James 1, 2 from the message translation. So we, we talked about how pressure is a gift in the hands of God, but we also admitted last week that we often don't approach or think about pressure that way. We don't think about it as a gift. We look at tests and hardship and pressure is something that, that tears us down, something that exposes us. And that's really exactly what Satan wants us to think. He wants to prevent us from receiving the gifts that God might have for us. But God doesn't view pressure that way. God views pressure as a gift, something that can grow us, something that can develop us. And so when, when tests come along, God doesn't try to keep us away from them. He doesn't try to, to help us avoid them. He actually wants to lead us through them. He wants to use tests to build us up. And so we talked about in order for us to receive the gifts that pressure are designed to give, we have to feel it to reveal it. We have to feel it to reveal it. We have to feel that pressure. We have to feel that pressure of the moment or the situation or the expectation in order for the gift that God might have for us to be revealed. Well, 
what I think is so exciting about today's sermon is today we're actually going to be looking at a period of pressure that Jesus himself walked through. And so our scripture today is going to just guide us and help us see how Jesus himself handled a period of pressure. And like I said at the beginning, our, our primary text for today doesn't really give us the whole story. And so we're going to go back and I want to look at what led up to our primary text for today that just simply said that uh, the crowd came together to the point they could not even eat. Now, again, this story is found in Mark chapter 3, but I want us to go back to Mark chapter 2. When you go back and look at Mark chapter 2 and Mark chapter 3, I encourage you to read those uh, on your own to get a full scope of, of what's happening. But what you're going to discover is during the moments between Mark chapter 2 and Mark chapter 3, where our text ends, we're going to see that during that time, Jesus was accused of breaking the Sabbath. He was accused of violating the law. Here's how he violated it. Jesus and his disciples were walking along the road and they were hungry. And so his disciples decided to, to pluck some kernels of wheat rub the chaff away from them in their hands, and then eat the kernels. That's how they were accused of violating the Sabbath. And I just want to ask you in that moment, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like you are constantly under interrogation, that every little decision that you make is just being nitpicked to death? That can, that can create a lot of pressure. But also during that time, Later, Jesus went to the synagogue, and when he went to the synagogue, he saw a man with a withered hand. And Jesus, being a man of grace and of power and of love, being the Son of God, decided to heal that man's withered hand. Well, of course, this caused, again, the Pharisees to decide that they were going to plot Jesus' destruction. And so, again, I want to ask if you can relate to Jesus. Have you ever been in, in moments in your life where it just seems like even when you do the right thing, you're making enemies. That's how Jesus felt, and I'm sure it created a lot of pressure. Then if you're reading along and you go to Mark 3, 7 through 9, you're going you're gonna to read this. Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him. Hearing all that he was doing, they came to him in great numbers from Judea, Jerusalem, Adumia, beyond the Jordan and the region around Tyre and Sidon. He told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd so they would not crush him. And again, can you relate to the pressure that this situation might have caused Jesus? Have you ever experienced even success, even things going right and you, and you do the right thing and you make the right decision and you get the results that you want, that that success then becomes just a crushing weight upon you, that expectation to succeed again or to continue to succeed creates pressure. And then lastly, leading up to our verse for today, Jesus gathered his disciples and he appointed some of them to be apostles and he sent them out to be messengers of the gospel and he gave them the authority to cast out demons. So I want you to think about that pressure. Have you ever been in, in those situations and those circumstances where even though you have so many responsibilities on your own, you have so many expectations that you need to, to meet 
that you still have people who are dependent on your help, dependent on your guidance. And so you can't just focus on what you have to focus on or expected to focus on. You've also got to guide and help and support those around you. Again, that can create so much pressure. Now, what's, what's amazing is after all of these wonderful, miraculous things that Jesus did, after all the challenges and the, and the difficulties and the confrontations that he faced, it's at that point that we read our verse for today. And I'm going to read a little bit earlier. I'm going to read from Mark 3, 19b and then 20. And it reads this. It says this. Then he went home, Jesus. He went home. And the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. So think about this with me. After healing a man with a withered hand, standing in defiance to the tyranny and the hard-heartedness of the Pharisees, after curing so many people and casting out so many demons that, that the crowd was at risk of crushing him, after identifying, calling, equipping, and sending out the apostles who were going to turn the world upside down after Jesus ascends into heaven, what did Jesus want to do? He wanted to go home. He wanted to get some rest. He wanted to eat a good meal. See, Jesus approached pressure with patience. He didn't allow what was happening around him to, to tempt him into to burning the candle at both ends. And let me just stop for a moment and just, just encourage you. Jesus is the light of the world. He is not impressed, nor does he need you to burn the candle at both ends. Let me encourage you with confidence that Jesus was not resurrected so that you could work yourself to death. That was not his intention, and that is not his hope for your life. Jesus knew, yes, he was the Son of God. Uh, yes, he was divine, but he also had a human body. And Jesus knew that his human body required rest. It required relaxation. It required nourishment in order for him to remain healthy. So if Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, attempted to rest after a period of pressure, you would think that you and I would be wise enough to follow his example but so often that is not the case. In fact, that's, that's clearly illustrated again by our text today. Jesus wanted to go home, get some rest, and, and eat a good meal, and, and the crowd pressed so hard in on him. So They were so committed to getting something from Jesus, they wouldn't allow him to get the rest and the good meal that he desired. Jesus embraced pressure with patience. We don't do that. Often when we experience pressure, we try to control it with our own power. In fact, just one chapter beyond the, the, the chapters we're studying right now in, in Mark chapter four, we're gonna find a great story that really illustrates my point. It really illustrates how Jesus approach, approaches pressure with patience and we try to control pressure with power. If you're reading along in your Bible, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. This is what it says. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. 
and leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Other boats were with them. A great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he, being Jesus, was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and they said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe, and they said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? See, in this story, I believe the disciples experienced what what I would call pressure-induced tunnel vision. The disciples were riding in a boat with Jesus, with Jesus, and they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed that Jesus was the Savior of Israel. And many of the disciples leading up to this moment had personally witnessed Jesus casting out demons, healing the sick, cleansing a leper, restoring a paralytic, confronting the Pharisees. And, and they watched him make a man's hand whole again, a man's withered hand restored. They watched that. They witnessed that. But after witnessing all of that, the disciples are stirred to a complete panic because of the storm. Now, I'm not saying that it started raining and these men got got scared. The disciples, many of them, earned their living before they were called by Jesus on the water. So more than likely, this was a significant weather event. But you would think You would just think that after all they witnessed Jesus do, after they witnessed miracle after miracle after miracle, that they might be a little more calm. They might be a little more confident encountering a storm in a boat with Jesus. That clearly was not the case. In fact, I I, I laugh a little bit because the the disciples, they go down into the boat and they wake Jesus up from a nap, which is a healthy way of approaching pressure, but they wake him up to criticize him for not caring about the fact that they're going to die. In fact, you can read that in Mark 4.38. They said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Wake up. What are you doing resting? What are you doing relaxing? Don't you know we're under pressure? Don't you know that we're about to die? That's how the, the disciples approached it. See, when the disciples encountered the storm, They gave in to tunnel vision. Because of tunnel vision, they could no longer see that Jesus was with them. They could no longer remember all the powerful miracles, all the amazing things that he had accomplished. Due to pressure-induced tunnel vision, all they could see was the storm and their own power. And they tried. They tried under their own power to rescue the ship. They tried under their own power to get themselves to safety. But when that didn't work, they gave, them, they gave in to despair. The same thing can happen to you and to me. The same thing can happen to us when we try to control pressure with our own power instead of embracing pressure with patience. Now, I I admit that no one likes pressure. Pressure is a lot of times painful and is uncomfortable. But 
when we encounter those things, what tends to happen because it's painful and because it's uncomfortable, we, we, we give in to the temptation to, to, to try to grit our teeth and, and get through it as quickly as possible. We try to, to John Wayne it. We try to grab the bull by the horns, wrestle it to the ground, and then stand victorious under our own power and under our own strength. And again, I admit, that might work a time or two, but we're human. Just like Jesus had a human body, we have a human body. And our muscles are going to get tired. Our strength is going to wane. We're going to need nourishment. We're going to need rest. Going to need rest. And in fact, our, our brain power, research shows that our brain power is closely tied to the amount of rest that we receive. That is why we must learn to not trust in our own power, but to rest in the authority of God's power. We must rest in God's authority over the situation instead of trying to control everything under our own strength. Let me, let me give you an illustration of how this works, that, that difference between our power and God's authority. I want you to imagine with me a police officer directing traffic in a four-way intersection. And as the police officer looks down the road, he sees a large semi-truck and trailer barreling down upon him down the street. And then in your mind, I want you to see that, that police officer raising his hand in a stop motion. Now, what does the semi-truck do? What does the driver do? They stop, of course, right? They stop. Now, let me ask you another question. Did the semi-truck and trailer, did the driver of that truck and trailer stop because the police officer was more powerful than the semi-truck? Well, obviously not. That, that, that's not the case. We know that. Common sense tells us that. No, the truck stopped not because the police officer was more powerful, but because the police officer had authority. The uniform that he, that he or she wore and the, and the badge that they wore communicated that the, that the city had given authority to that officer to exercise the traffic laws within the city limits. The city gave its authority to that officer. It was authority that caused that semi-truck to stop. It was authority that allowed Jesus to speak to the storm and calm it. In fact, early on in, in our text for today, we read that it was authority that Jesus gave to his apostles when he sent them out. He didn't send them out and say, hey, cast out demons in your own power. Hey, you're strong enough to, to handle these demons on your own. No. What did he do? He sent them out and gave them his authority. He gave them authority to cast out demons. I want to remind you where that's at. That's in Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. It says, And he appointed the twelve, whom he also named apostles, to be with him and to be sent out to proclaim the message and have authority to cast out demons. Pressure-induced tunnel vision can be very dangerous. Because that tunnel vision can blind us to God's authority. It can blind us to the plans and purposes that God has for those, those moments of pressure in our lives. And it can cause us, when we, when we lose that sense of God's authority, when we lose that sense of God's plan, it's really tempting to try to control that situation with our power. So how do we avoid that? How do we avoid 
pressure-induced tunnel vision? How do we keep God's authority in our peripheral vision? Well, you can combat tunnel vision by asking yourselves a series of questions when you encounter pressure. Now, these are great questions for you to ask yourself when you're in those moments of pressure. But as a church, we also believe that people grow in groups. So I encourage you to to share these questions with your grow group or your Sunday school class. And as a group, y'all commit with one another to ask each other these questions when you know someone's going through a, a period of pressure. The first question is this, am I resting? Am I resting? See, we need to remember that God designed our bodies. God designed our mind. And he designed them to need rest, relaxation, and nourishment. Again, even Jesus took naps. Now, I want you to think of rest, relaxation, and nourishment as your daily vitamin. See, these things are best done in preparation or before a season of pressure. For, so for example, students, you want to be really intentional about rest, relaxation, and nourishment during the summertime because you know in the fall you've got school and you're, there's going to be a lot more demands on your time and it's going to be much more difficult in that season of pressure to, to get that rest, relaxation, and nourishment. So you want to make sure that you're doing that in advance, making that a regular part of your lifestyle. The second question is going to be a little sound a little bit weird, but it's a good question. Am I breathing? When you're feeling pressure, you need to ask yourself, am I breathing? Because see what happens when, when we feel pressure, when we feel stress, our, our stress response, our amygdala kicks in. Our fight or flight kicks in. And what happens when we're in that fight or flight mode, we begin to take more shallow breaths and, and, and quicker breaths. And that raises our stress level. That raises our anxiety. So when you're under pressure, you need to say, am I breathing? And really pay attention to your breath. And if it's shallow, if it's quick, you want to slow down. And you want to practice what's called patterned breathing. You want to be intentional of taking a very slow, deep breath in through your nose and a very slow exhale out of your mouth. What that's going to do is communicate with your mind and with your body that you're not in danger. There's no reason for fight or flight. It's going to calm your mind and allow you to, again, assess the situation in a more helpful manner. Now, the last question I have for you that uh, you ought to be asking yourself and you ought to be allowing your, your group, your grow group, your Sunday school class to ask you as well is, am I seeing the whole picture? See, tunnel vision is dangerous because we don't often know that we're experiencing tunnel vision. We think everything we're looking at is all there is to see. But when you have tunnel vision, you can miss important details. You can miss God working. You can miss God providing. In fact, one article I read on tunnel vision was talking about how police officers are trained. They, they stated that, that police officers are trained to combat tunnel vision and restore situational awareness by taking time to evaluate, look at all the information currently available about the call and to actually sit and think through the potential actions or, or reactions they may need to take before they arrive on scene. They, look at, they make sure they're looking at all the information. So when you're under pressure, stop and ask yourself, am I seeing the whole picture? Am I considering 
all the details? Do I see God at work in this situation? Am I trusting in God's authority? Am I trying to control, am I trying to rush this season of pressure with my, with my own power? So we need to take time to ask these questions. We need to be intentional about giving people who have influence over us, our, our grow groups, our Sunday school classes, our family, permission to ask us these questions so that we prevent ourselves from encountering and giving into pressure-induced tunnel vision. When you do that, when you're looking at pressure with, with, a, with a clear view, it's so much easier to see those gifts those moments of development, those moments where you mature under the guiding hand of God's authority. So I encourage you to, to write these questions down, to, to share them with people that you trust this week so that you're prepared when pressure comes upon you again. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I thank you for everybody who's listening. I know that, that, that pressure is gonna come in their lives. It's unavoidable. It happens to all of us. I just pray, Father, that you would prepare them, that these questions would, would follow and they'd stick in their minds and they would uh, come back in their memory when, when they feel that, that weight of pressure upon their shoulders. Lord, bless us week, this week. Guide us and may we be a, a light to those around us. I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray that you're blessed this week and that you have a great week. Amen.